and it's a very very good evening this monday thank you so much for joining me i'm wayne turner taking you through to about quarter to seven this evening we have another action-packed program information uh education we try to give you all the latest news around issues and where we can be positive in the community and add our part as well as we have financial experts uh, we have medical as well as education so we try and make it a well-round holistic program giving you a lot of information and just generally helping you make better decisions in your community and around those areas okay so uh the Third Monday of the month is our community slot and we try to get someone in who is impacting the community who can give us advice and information about issues within the community. Now we've had this organization on before from a different aspect, finding out more and working together. But um, for this show, I, I was in a, I'm in a number of boards, you know, I serve in law enforcement with the Community Policing Forum, a residence association as well. Well, I volunteer with CCFM as well. So uh, looking at the whole issue of homelessness, now one of the boards we discussed how residents and people in the Musenberg Lakeside area can positively impact uh, a situation, a problem, which is homelessness. Uh, some call it a problem, some call it a ch- challenge. And uh, there are different viewpoints, people on different sides of the fence around this issue. Some people are more involved than others. Others don't see the problem as it is and others overreact. So what we've decided to do is bring U-Turn back into studio and answer some of these questions. Now, homelessness uh, from an official uh, point of view from the authorities is a problem because uh, people sleep on sidewalks, people can't get past. I've seen a lady with her baby almost get killed under the Musenberg Bridge because she had to go into the street around homeless people and a car nearly hit her. That's when I realized the seriousness of the problem. So, uh, you know, there's other issues around breaking the laws. And we understand where the homeless people are coming from, but there are two sides, as I said, to a story. And uh, U-Turn have been involved in the situation with homeless people for many years now and they've been able to adapt programs. They've got n- numbers of success stories which we've spoken about in, pre- in previous shows. But so I've got Steve Underwood in studio with me this morning, this evening. And what I'm going to be doing is picking his brain and trying to come up with solutions for our listeners who live in a community with homelessness, what they can do. So, Steve, how big is our problem of homelessness, challenge of homelessness in the city of Cape Town? Thanks, thanks for having me, Wayne. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so the, the problem of homelessness, um, it varies on, on, on who you ask. Um, so the city of Cape Town, they, they tend to pick the number uh, quite a bit lower than what uh, U-Turn would measure the number. Um, they're saying probably 4,500 uh, homeless in the city. Um, we've done a cost of homelessness report, the first of its kind um, in Africa, and, and we're measuring the figure more at around 14,000 homeless people. Right, that's the figure I was aware of. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're looking at probably about 14,000, and that's, that's a figure from, you know, pre-COVID sort of COVID time, that's when we measured it. So it'd probably be, be more than that now, uh, if we were to measure now. Yeah, I mean, it's changed quite a bit. I mean, I know there have been lots of success stories in Musenberg, people getting... Uh, back into homes and uh, off the streets because of because of COVID, but then it does a cycle and we're back to a situation. So 
and, and how does it impact the the city? The, 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 so you're talking about costs. Yeah, so obviously the, the costs of homelessness, if you, if you look, check out that study, um, they, they, their cost in terms of the, the sort of cleanup um, costs that the city incur, there are law enforcement costs that the city incur, um, there are costs that are incurred by the citizens um, that kind of give charitable giving, um, and, and obviously th- those sort of costs add up um, to be quite significant. So it's quite, it's quite a big amount. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I suppose these shelters involved as well. I mean, those are, those are subsidized. The homeless mm-hmm. person doesn't pay what it costs to give them a bed. Yeah, the, 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 the shelters are subsidized, absolutely. Yeah. Right, so the, the costs involved. Okay, so we, we see one of the problems and in the community of Musenberg, and that is the interaction of residents and uh, passers-by and visitors and tourists with homeless people. And there's a, always been the big debate, you know, the church that comes on a Friday night, opens a boot, gives uh, soup and rolls and Another church will come on another night and do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's been a lot of opposition to this because uh, people enabling homeless people to mm-hmm. stay on the street. So, you know, one of the big issues besides the, the alcohol and drugs is the lack of food. So you, you supply them with food. The balance of their money goes on spending their other wants and needs. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, that that is one of the traditional responses to homelessness. You see... A need, you see someone suffering, they're hungry, you want to give them food, they're cold, you want to give them a blanket. And that's your traditional welfare response mm. that people engage in. And, and it's done uh, with a good intention. It's done with a heart of, of wanting to alleviate that suffering. But uh, So the whole motivation is of generosity and love and really and kindness, wanting to help that person. There's no... Uh, other agendas. I, I believe so. I think for, uh, those responses in that in that f- at that welfare level are, are are genuinely trying to help people. But the question has to be asked, and it's something that we we often ask at U-Turn: is is do, does that actually help the person, or does it actually enable the homelessness, as you said? Because then they're, 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 those needs are met, perhaps for for food and clothing. It allows them to then use their other resources to to buy drugs or alcohol, and it. Uh, keeps them stuck in that uh, cycle of addiction. So um, one of our champions, for example, Malik Hole, um, he was a car guard uh, addicted to drugs. And if he had just kept on being given five rand, five rand, five rand, he would have always stayed in that position. Um, but it was only when he actually couldn't continue further in it and joined U-Turn um, and actually engaged in a developmental solution, mm. which is what U-Turn are offering. Um, from there, he was able to get off the streets. He was able to get his matric. And just last year, he graduated with his LLB degree. So That's an amazing yeah. success story. Mm. I think we need him in studio sometime. Mm. We, we need to hear the success stories. And from the horse's mouth, where the person says, hey, you gave me money. It enabled me. And I couldn't get out of my cycle. Mm. I interviewed a social worker who had been homeless uh, a couple of years back. It was really interesting because... She spent a couple of years on the street as a homeless person, and then she went into social work, another success story, Mm. and was able to integrate what she had learned on the street with helping homeless people, because that was her her social work uh, role. And she said an interesting thing. She said there was a lady in Claremont who saw her. It just happened to be her first night out on the street. And she brought her this big, woolen, fluffy blanket that was mm. so warm. She said if that lady hadn't have given it, she was planning to go back home. So that, that's a, mm. it's quite a, a tough 
uh, and I'm sure there's a divided opinion on it. But from the homeless and people off the streets, it does seem to be a very clear message. You enable me to stay on the street by giving me money and food and blankets and, and the like. You know, it, it, it's, it's really tough, but it, it does cause or uh, result in some of the uh, further problems. Yeah. So, so from our side, we, we want to say to people, be generous, do give, but think about how you give. Mm. Give responsibly um, and certainly don't give, give cash. And even giving food and blankets, like you say, it, it, it is an enabler as well. So um, that's why at U-Turn, we, we have a voucher system. Um, that's one of the reasons why we brought that in. It's because our developmental solution, it assists not just the people that are sleeping rough, but it also assists the community to know mm. how to help those rough sleepers in a responsible way. Um, and so we encourage people to rather give vouchers rather than giving money or food or clothing. Because when uh, a person from the street redeems that voucher at a service center by U-turn, they get their meal, they get their clothing, their, 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 their suffering is alleviated for that day. Mm. So it, it provides the same um, service. But it creates but, a touch point. But exactly, it creates an entry point, a touch point, which is the actual thing that you're giving when you give a voucher. You're giving almost like a passport to go on a journey that enables that rough sleeper to engage um, with social support. Um, they will engage with people who have also been uh, formerly on the street themselves. And it doesn't happen in one day, but it's a slow process of mm. developing the relationship, building trust. Everyone that comes to us, we do a baseline uh, survey with them to see where they're at, what their particular needs are. And from there, kind of a holistic um, sort of a path is, is created that's, that's kind of ideal for them. Because the problem with residents is that they see a problem uh, it's not a nice problem because as I said in the intro, uh, it creates a whole bunch of issues when someone's sleeping under the bridge. Where do they go to the toilet? Where do they wash? Where do they eat? Uh, you know, where do they have sex? You know, mm -hmm. those are all issues that are what the residents see. And the knee-jerk response is often call the authorities, boot these people out, or uh, let's help them and we start, as I said, the, the other process. Mm -hmm. So it's important and... Uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, we, we're looking for a solution for what residents can do. Now, uh, the whole idea of shelters, uh, I find it, you know, it's a, it's a difficult one because you give a person a place to sleep for a night, two nights, they go back on the streets, they come back in. I, I, I don't know if that system works. Have you found, found any success with the shelter system? So it, it depends on, on the environment of the shelter itself. Mm. Uh, some shelters are, are better than others. Um, but yeah, in general, we find that shelters, they, they're either a, a place where a person sort of stays there and they kind of almost become semi-dependent on that shelter. So almost residential. Almost residential. Um, or there's another uh, group of shelters in Cape Town whose goal is to just reintegrate people back with their family, mm. but they don't necessarily do the homework required uh, the, for, for that person to be re reintegrated. Mm. So they can send them back to the family, but if that environment is still a toxic environment, then they'll be back on the streets within a very it's only, short it's only a, time. It's only a matter of time, mm. yeah, because 
and and some of them lock the residents up after a certain time. So mm. so you know it's almost like a halfway house between the street and jail. You know, yeah. I know it's a harsh thing to say, mm. but you know you take away a person's uh, freedom of movement. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, help the situation. I remember a couple of years back, a group of law enforcement officers from Musenberg took a collection. Mm. And they actually paid to send. Uh, at the time, it was Lizzie back to Bo- Beaufort East or Beaufort, okay. somewhere there? Mm. Three weeks later, she was back. Yeah, now they had enabled her to get back home mm. out of the generosity of their hearts as law enforcement officials. Which I, fa- I found it quite amazing that the guys would actually do something like that. Yeah. But when she came back in three weeks, you realise that the problem hasn't been solved. The reason she left mm-hmm. has now done a circle, and now she's left again, and, yeah. and that's one of the problems you guys see all the time. That is one of the drivers of people um, going onto the street is a broken relationship uh, with family. So unless that relationship is uh, fixed to a certain extent, sending a person back, they'll be they'll be back on the street. And sometimes that toxic environment can never actually be fixed. And so what we say is, although we would like to reunite people with families, it depends on that person's individual family context. If they're going to get clean, if they're going to put their life back together, go back to their family and be back on drugs and back on the street in a short space of time, then we would actually rather not reunite them with the family. In that circumstance, what we're always looking for is uh, resilience and independence, that a Mm. person can actually have have skills. um, They've got skills, they've got coping mechanisms, and they have a network of support. And that network of support doesn't have to be family. It can be, and if Mm. it is, that's great. But if not, then there, there is another network of support, and that's something that that U-turn also provide. Um, that's something that U-turn also provide as part of um, the journey that a person walks on. You know, they 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 have family. It's not biological family, but it's family, friends. There is um, a support so. group around them. Absolutely, because many homeless people leave alcohol, drug. Uh, yeah. families yeah. they don't want to be a part of it yeah. and the only places on the street and there they met with the, the same problem yeah. so you either join it or you have to find you know an, another solution I mean I've I've known and been involved in from my early SAPS days what 32 odd years and you get to know the people some of them manage to get reintegrated and you see them later still alive many down the street I mean we you know that was, was part of the job so you know the 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 challenge of the authorities to do something is just as big as the challenge of the residents. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> um, how how do residents in or con- let's say concerned citizens in a community how do they respond? What should their response be? What, what step one? You're talking to me now. We're sitting in a coffee shop. I've come to you and said, uh, not as, from a U-turn perspective. Mm-hmm. What would you say to a person wanting to get involved in assisting the issue of homelessness? I think um, I would go back to that uh, notion of giving responsibly and thinking about what you want to do and actually, you know, taking a bit of time to consider uh, what is actually available in the area that you're in. So, um, for example, if there is a U-turn service center in that area, um, then you should look to... um, see how you can use that facility um, to kind of um, assist your, your, your response. If there's no U-turn in that particular area, is there another um, organization that is offering um, a developmental solution uh, to the homeless problem uh, in that particular area? So 
And if I there would, isn't a, a U-turn and it's mm. a big enough problem, uh, start your lobbying. Yeah, because uh, U-turn probably have most of the areas on their radar. But if you are unaware of something and the magnitude of a problem, you're never going to go into that area. So. Mm. Residents are the eyes and ears for organizations that are, are actually involved. Organizations who've got a heart for this want to see the problem mm. resolved. And uh, we didn't have anything in Musenberg for uh, many years mm. until you guys found the location, because that's often the issue, mm. a, a set of premises where you can actually uh, work out from as a base. Yeah, absolutely. So, so if you in your area and there isn't a, a solution that you can partner with, or perhaps there's only a feeding scheme that just feed people, clothe them, but don't offer any development off the street. Mm. They don't offer rehab. They don't offer work readiness program. They don't offer skills development. Um, then I would say, yes, absolutely. That's your time then to say, th there's, a, there's an area of need. Uh, what can we actually do to, to create something here or to partner with someone? Right. And as you said, th with the venues, that, that, that is a big challenge um, for, for U-Turn is finding venues. Because the same and residents don't want any uh, offices or organization in the area. They want the homeless problem sorted and taken mm -hmm. out of the area, which is quite selfish when you think of it. Uh, because we people who are in a particular area are there for a reason, either like it or they're from a community nearby. Mm -hmm. So you can't just say, well, you need to go to Cape Town or Somerset West or wherever the nearest uh, center is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to just move people on or try and push them out of a specific area, what you'll find is then there's a reaction of, of that area to try and push them back. And um, we've spoken to law enforcement who's kind of, if their strategy is just move them on, then they just move them on to another sort of precinct and then mm. the police just move them all back and it's kind of this back and forth yeah. constantly, uh, which which doesn't assist anyone. So yeah, residents need to, need to th kind of think quite deeply about, um, you know, where such a service would be located. And, and, and one thing that we've identified is, is perhaps um, places like churches, for example. I mean, those church buildings are, are, are great facilities. Um, they're used, very well used on a Sunday. They're probably used um, one or two evenings during the week for sort of midweek meetings. But possibly, they're depending on the church, um, but possibly there's quite a bit of space not being used uh, during the daytime. Mm. So, so can, I, can I just uh, mm. question you on that? Mm. We've seen uh, churches that have been open for that absolutely trashed and mm. the church has sworn never ever to assist anymore. How does a church get involved in the situation which can get out of, out of hand? I mean, should they be partnering with somebody, some organization, should they get their own social work. I know Cheta has done that. Mm -hmm. And they they don't have a, a sleeping there, but they do facilitate programs from there. W yeah. what, is your, what is your understanding of how a church should be involved? To what degree and what sort of use? Because there'll be people listening in from churches. Now, what sort of mm -hmm. use would be expected? So I, I think... For, for a church, you'd basically need three, or any service center, you need three kind of core components uh, for the venue. The one is is a consistent service time. So it, it's not just people drop in and come and go whenever they want, mm. um, but there's a specific time from nine to one, these are the services. And and obviously maintaining your boundaries on that. If someone comes at, you know late or, or, or early, then they're not let in until the time for services are, are there. Mm. So it needs to be structured. It needs to be structured and it needs to be consistent. It's not good if someone comes, let's say with a voucher, they're expecting a meal. Oh, sorry, it's closed today because of X, Y, Z. So um, it needs to be consistent. It needs to be structured. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, 
that you need um, some sort of food service that you can mm. you can you can give to people. So that's either making it on site in the church facility if you have those facilities. If not, most churches have a kitchen. Most of them do. I mean, you're not looking to high intensity chefing. You're looking no, to no, no, very absolutely. basic things. Yeah. Cook at home, bring a pot there, and mm. help the people. And and if your venue doesn't have a kitchen per se, then at least food distribution. So you can bring the food from outside and, and mm. serve it. So that that's the second thing. And the third thing I would say is that sort of social or psychosocial. Uh, support. And we're not um, just talking spiritual counseling, we're talking beyond that. We, we're getting into some of the, the mm-hmm. issues that people are on the streets for and need to talk about and to get uh, the best, of course, is referred to somewhere that can help. Yeah, so so I would say it's very much an and-and type solution in terms of what can your average lay counsellor offer, uh, Bible study, spiritual support, yes, very much, but and on top of that. You need more than that for a homeless person. Yeah, therapeutic help. So, in, in that type of circumstance, uh, if a church were, were keen to, to, to make their service available uh, for what we would call a first-phase service center, that entry point into the life change journey. It mustn't um, just be the same as serving food out of a car boot. No. It's got to be beyond that if, if the church is going to do something. Yeah, it, it must be developmental. The, the idea is, is to feed, but also to empower so that the person is not coming back the next day, the next day, the next day, always for food always relying on that that they're mm. actually able to to it's a it's a hand up that they're able to then get clean in rehab and get um, skills development and training and eventually their own job in the open market so and also if possible some place they can go to the toilet during their time and have a shower if possible absolutely at that first phase your welfare needs are still critical like mm. your, your your ablution facilities your feeding your clothing um, and, and and your and your basic counseling and assistance you know someone that's been on the street for or maybe five years coming to you is going to have totally different problems to someone that's just come on the street. They've been on for like a week or a month or something. Um, you might be able to help that person much faster and in a different way than someone who's been on the street for five years um, and, and, and you know, they're, they're very much entrenched in, in their way. So, And this is possible. You know, I, I don't know if you know Richard Bolland. Yes, yeah. I mean, now, sort of very much in the background, he's got a, a, an animation agency mm. but i think his wife's a social worker and they quietly in the background started working with people the social needs and getting sponsors and getting people in it was small they didn't have huge funds and they worked in conjunction with their church but it was something it enabled mm. uh, half a dozen people at a time to go through a program and get sponsored and get reintegrated so it doesn't need to be the idea of this huge U-turn type organization. If you're making the difference in 10 people's lives or five people's lives, that's a step forward. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's how U-turn began. They began with one person, Colleen Lewis. She had a heart for, for people on the street and, um, and, and it grew from there. And I think in that first phase, certainly that's, that's something, like you say, can be done on a mm. fairly small scale. Um, we tend to talk about social franchising uh, at U-turn. It's one of the ways that we're looking at replicating. And we've actually had churches uh, in Joburg who approached us for exactly this type of partnership where they say, okay, we'll provide that first phase. We'll provide the services, the meals. We'll provide that uh, social support where we can at our skill level and where you can help us with maybe an occupational therapist or a social worker. So they they or the church builds the platform. They, they build the platform. Which is, which is quite time consuming and mm. uh, resource intense for U-turn to start something like it to find a location. But if the church is already there, they can start the process. 
you guys can bring in the, uh, if I'm understanding, you bring mm. in the expertise. Yes. And the money you would have spent doing that same thing can go to, a, a, like you said, an occupational therapist or a social worker yes. who knows how to deal with the situation and can take help that church take those people to the next level. Yeah, and 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 in actual fact. What you can can then offer is is those next developmental steps, which a church might say, that's a bit bit much for us. So, for example, our, it's all about expertise. Exactly. I mean, our work readiness. We have our, our shops, our retail shops, and the champions who are on our program, uh, formerly sleeping on the streets, are the ones who work in those retail shops. And can I tell you, I was in the Claremont shop. I was amazed the enthusiasm and the willingness to share and talk and. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. These people have come through three, four-year journey. Is that correct? Yeah. And I mean, I, I was totally impressed. So mm-hmm. th- that's the, the 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 part that uh, often a church can't do. And then the networking, the links with big business who can get them reintegrated. I mean, you might find people in the church might have those contacts, mm-hmm. but it's not the traditional uh, exactly. way of doing it. And, and the church will lose focus on their ministry if they start to kind of go down that road. So what we would say is, it, we partner with this church, this type of like a social franchise, and we like to call it like a like a quick spa. You know, a, a quick spa is like a spa, but they don't offer all the full services. So the church would be offering that first phase, and then in terms of when it comes to doing rehab, which obviously requires significant professional mm. help, when it comes to opening stores or or businesses to give people work readiness to move on in their journey, those referrals is what U-Turn would provide by partnering with the church for, for the first phase. So in that way, we'll, 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 we'll scale the journey much faster. Um, and each one, like you say, will, will provide expertise at the level where they're able to provide it. Now, what's the importance of lobbying? You know, uh, I mean, it starts right at the bottom with you not quite lobbying your pastor or your church board or whatever mm. to investigate something. I mean, it involves lobbying U-turn to say, hey, come to our area. It involves mm. lobbying authorities and your local city councillor to to do something like that. How important is lobbying? Yeah, lo- lobbying is is significantly important. It, it really is. You know, um, people who are on the street they don't really have a voice. You know, no advocates. Exactly. They're, even if they speak, they're not listened to. Mm. So, y- your your voice can be the voice for them to say that you know, let's do something. Let's try and, and get involved in this. And as you say that. That can be lobbying at various different levels. Certainly from our side, we're seeing the need for, along with those service centers which operate during the day, we're seeing the need for more facilities at night for people to sleep. Mm. Because the continuum of care gets broken when someone comes to a service center. You're building up trust with them. They're speaking to people who have left the street. They're feeling, oh, can I make this change or not? Then they go back to a bush um, people are drinking, maybe they're taking drugs. It's and very getting, cold, they need to warm up, so let's just take yeah. a quick doppie and you're back into the cycle again. And they're sucked right back in and the trust which you're trying to build up and, and a lot of people on the street have got broken relationships, have heavy trust issues. They don't even trust themselves that they have the courage to make this mm. journey. So we're working with them, we're building up that trust that yes, you can do it and yes, you can trust us to walk with you the whole journey. That trust gets broken when we send them back somewhere that's not yeah. suitable for them. So. We are, we are really pushing for safe spaces, uh, which are sort of, they're not as permanent as shelters in the sense of people stay there for a long time. But so, they, so just, just explain a safe mm. place. So, so a safe space is essentially, a, a, it's, it's a bed for the night in a safe uh, environment. Uh, there's no drugs or firearms or alcohol. You're not going to be attacked in that space. You have somewhere where you can lock up your belongings for the night um, because that's another issue for homeless people. They can never save, they can never 
build up um, belongings, even things like IDs. You get them an ID and it'll get lost or stolen. So it gives them an opportunity to, to sort of have a little base uh, of where they can feel safe. They can have a shower, ablution facilities, and then in the morning they, they leave. And, it, and it's on a sort of an ad hoc basis that they come in and they go out. Um, and but it's all part of that uh, developmental cycle you talk about. Yes. It's not like an... Uh, like some uh, uh, shelters mm. will just give a bed. They don't do anything. They just that, that's all they do. Yes. It's got to be significantly more than that. So yeah. that safe space, you guys use that as another touch point. So, 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 so we would ideally say a safe space and a service center kind of go together. So during the mm. daytime, they ha- they're receiving services from a service center. At nighttime, they have a safe space. From there, they will get to the point of trusting that they do want to make a change in their life. And from there, we can then refer them onto the life change journey uh, with U-turn, which would be, you know, your 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 drug and alcohol rehab, and then your skills development, your work readiness, on the job training, and then finally job in the open market. Because the biggest two needs, as I see it, are uh, rehabilitation and uh, employment. Yes. Because once you rehabilitate and you employ and you employed, it's far easier to solve the problem of living on the street because now yes. you've got money to rent or share or whatever it is yeah those are the two biggest problems i would say at at a structural level um but we also shouldn't sort of discount that the fact that you know a person needs to be willing to make a change Mm. um and and that's where the first phase comes in that you're helping them but you're helping them with a with a plan with a kind of a strategy uh, going forward Mm. yeah Yeah, i I saw an officer the other day or overheard an officer threatening a homeless person of what would happen if they didn't return to the U-turn, U-turn program. I thought okay. it was, it was a, an interesting tool that officer had. Yeah. You know, yeah, your options. Uh, it's either I'm going to sort you out for the crime or the offences you're committing, yeah. or you go back to U-turn. U-turn. Yes. Having that option is now mm. something that, uh, and she promised, yes, yes, no, she's going to sort it, sort it out now. It has been bad on the street. She knows she's going to get help there. Yeah. And, and that's, the sort of perception, some of the mm. perception out on the street. So um, it's it's very difficult to as a, as a citizen to find the right thing to do because uh, you just, like I said earlier, it's a knee jerk reaction. Mm. If someone uh, is not sure how what to do. Is it possible to speak to someone at one of your centers? I, I know you're not big on volunteers because people have very specific roles and need to be skilled in certain things. So to just have mm-hmm. a whole bunch of volunteers with nothing to do is not, uh, I know sometimes you do, but yeah. it's not something generally you, you do. Uh, w- what would you advise that person? W- would you advise them to make contact with U-Turn to see if there's any way they can get involved? Yeah, we we do um, we do welcome volunteers absolutely, but like you say, some of the work is is quite skilled. Mm. So um, it, it can be a challenge for volunteers coming into that space. And the other thing that we, we that we don't particularly a fan of is uh, sort of a short term type scenario. So we very much holistic, very much a long developmental journey. If you're just coming for an hour on Mandela Day to tick a box, then that's not really, you know, that, that's not the sort of volunteering that that, that, that would be beneficial. But um, yeah, absolutely. Um, people can uh, contact our, our service centers or even our head office to, we have a volunteer coordinator. And for example, on weekends at our Claremont service center, uh, our, our, our service is run by volunteers, but they're dedicated volunteers. Every weekend they're there. It's maybe not the same people, but it's a team right. that rotates and they say, 
for this uh, Sunday, we're going to take care of the of the meal and and make yeah. sure the service runs on weekend because our, our guys also need a break. You know, yeah. they can't work seven days a week. Well, that's how it uh, works with the law enforcement auxiliaries mm. that we're involved with. You know, you've got to put in a set amount of hours. You you provided a uniform and a vehicle. Mm. You know, the city's investing in in having them. Yeah. They've got to have measurable yeah. outcomes from the volunteering. So you guys, you need the same thing because it's mm-hmm. pointless having. You might as well get the permanence back in again. But mm-hmm. if people can say, well, I'm committed to doing X amount per month or X amount of hours, mm-hmm. you slot me in and I'll, unless there's sickness or something, that's the type of volunteering you, you need. Something that's going to go on long term so you can actually plan. Yeah. And also think about what your skills are and how they might contribute mm-hmm. into that area. For example, that cost of homelessness studies that I referred earlier. We were approached by a company that are specialists in research and they said, oh, we want to make sandwiches for you. And we were like, okay, we've got sandwiches covered, but research, that's something we don't have covered. <laughs> so can you help us? And we're happy research? to do that. And, and so that's how the, 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 the project kind of started. So, so what is your uh, particular skill set? You mentioned Richard Bollard. Obviously, he's got the animation uh, side. You know, we're producing a lot of videos with animation. If you're a videographer, if you're a photographer um, that's able to tell stories, compelling stories, mm. then your, your volunteering and that side of, 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 of things would be much better than, um, you know, just turning up and, and doing sort of an hour of, of sort of lay counseling if that's not your particular skill set. Right. So, so, yeah, I would encourage volunteers to think about how they can contribute. So people uh, who might have financial budgeting type skills or mm. a social worker or someone who's in an allied sort of industry or profession uh, can often cross over mm. far more effectively than a person who has always been in the home or has always worked as a bricklayer or plumber. You know, you, you can sort of work with people in certain mm. uh, professions, industries, which would be far more helpful. Yeah, I think that that makes sense to try and, and match your, 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 your hard skills uh, with, with a need within that uh, space. But also, I, I don't want to discount a, a person who has a particular heart for something because mm. that is also significant. Passion drives. Their passion and their drive and, and that. So, so I think it's a balance of, of the two. You, know, you, you see where you land. Some people are very much like hard skills. I can do X, Y, Z, and, and, and that's what mm. I'll contribute. Whereas others are just like, I want to help and I'll do whatever I can to help. And they come with loads of passion and, and, and that can also drive drive everything forward. Right. Okay, before we end off the show, we've got about five minutes left. Mm. Um, let's talk about vouchers. Mm, yes. I want to do end and, and leave this uh, the impression in people's minds. Mm. Uh, we did say uh, organizations, schools, uh, Bible colleges, often with, with lots of students, when they see the poor homeless people, they want to pray for them and give them something to fill their st- stomach. Yeah. And that, doesn't work as we've worked out. Mm. How does the voucher system work and how can people be involved in it? Because if everyone's giving out vouchers yeah. in that area, the people who, who want money are going to go somewhere else yes. and the people who actually need are going to take up those opportunities. Mm. Talk us through the voucher process from beginning to end. Yeah, so, so the U-turn voucher process, we've been running it for some time. Um, you can purchase five vouchers for 100 Rand. They're, they're 20 Rand a voucher. Um, and the, the, the intention there is that instead of giving money or food or clothing, you give a voucher, which is, like I said, that entry point to the service center. And absolutely, like you say, anyone that's on the street for criminal reasons or you know they have bad intentions, they won't want a voucher. They won't want that help. 
Um, and if only if only they're receiving vouchers from people, eventually they will you know they will they will find something else to do with their life in another area. They I rem- won't stay there. I remember years ago, two old white guys, mm. alcoholics in the street, sweeping for a, a, a particular program. I walked past them, and the one was saying to the other, he says, "I don't know how this how, how I can make this work." how do I exchange my vouchers I get money for alcohol? I mean, it was quite blatant and I <laughs> yeah. walked past, I thought, oh my word, there are challenges even with the, with the voucher system. Mm. But what is a voucher entitle a person? You give them a voucher, they come to your front door, what happens? So, so they come into the service center and with that voucher, they, they get a meal or two items of clothing and obviously then they get the social support. So a meal or two center. items of clothing a so meal, they can decide. They can decide. But the thing is when someone comes, if they've only got one voucher and they want to stay on for longer, we won't turn them away. What we'll generally do is engage them in some sort of form of work. Uh, maybe it's collecting litter in the area. Maybe it's a ragging kind of second uh, recycling uh, fabrics, um, which we, we sometimes get done Donated to us, they're below the quality we can we can use, so we rag them up for recycling. So they will do uh, uh, some some work, and you'll and, give them a voucher. And, and that will then they'll earn their own voucher, and then that that, that makes them feel sort of like you know they've earned it. They they that that they're more involved now, so it increases their their volition. So, but one of the weaknesses we found with vouchers is that. If we don't have a U-turn service center in that area, you can't really give a voucher. If someone's in Bloberg, they can't walk all the way to Musenberg mm. or Claremont to collect their voucher. So it's uh, it's it's a catchment. It it's got to work in a catchment area of a service center. It, it works in a catchment area of a service center. That's why we want to increase the reach of our service centers. But we're also working on a solution uh, called the U voucher, which is a slight variation on the theme of the U-turn voucher. And that will actually supplement, uh, that will supplant U-turn vouchers. So a U-voucher can be redeemed at any U-turn service center or any partner that also offers a similar solution to, right. to U-turn. So at the moment, we, we, we're in talks with Mess, uh, <coughs> sorry, Mess in Belleville and Streetscapes, um, who, who would come on as partners. And then anyone that says, hey, we want to do the first phase, but we can't do the second, third, and fourth, the drug rehab, the work rehab. Like a church. Like a church. They could also uh, take U-vouchers uh, from their clients um, and then the cost of that U voucher would go in towards that particular uh, ser- service center. So those vouchers would be priced at about 16 rand each and and yeah, uh, they would get a portion of that. Right, so that's basically it. So where can vouchers be obtained from? So you can, uh, there, there are resellers um, which are available but the best place is to go into the U-Turn uh, website and just click on vouchers. There'll be a list of resellers or you can purchase them and we post them to you. Right, right. Wow, that went fast. A lot of information <laughs> there. So, guys, if, if you're listening to this uh, for the first time uh, about U-Turn and you want to get in more information, please pop onto the U-Turn website. All the information will be there. The U-Turn website is? It's uh, homeless.org.za. Homeless.org.za. And you'll be able to make contact with U-Turn and uh, they'll give you all the information you need. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure uh, chatting with you guys again, more specifically on how we can Mm. actually do something as concerned residents for our homeless beyond calling the law enforcement or police. So uh, we'll probably have you back in studio sometime in the future, see how it's going, but thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Right, till next week, uh, it's goodbye and God bless. We do have a uh, medical slot next week, so stay tuned, 6 p.m. next Monday evening. Cheers for now.